0: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about the latest UN report says China's economic growth is expected to increase by 5.3% in 2023. And ChatGPT chief says artificial intelligence needs to be regulated. And now let's begin with our top story. China's economy picked up again in April, with growth in both retail and industrial output. Official data shows that retail sales of consumer goods surged 18.4% year-on-year in April, and this was significantly faster than March. Industrial output grew by 5.6% in the month. And the surveyed urban unemployment rate came in at 5.2%, slightly lower than in March. And meanwhile, the latest UN report on economic expectations, says China's economic growth is expected to increase by 5.3% this year. So for more on this, joined us on the line now are Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So Ina, first of all, what did you learn about China's economy in this latest figure of April? What does it tell us?
1: Well, uh, you have to go back a year. Uh, there was a very low base uh, because of what was happening with COVID. Um, I think expectations were slightly higher. At this point, um, people have to keep this in perspective. You're still talking about an economy that's going to grow at 5.3% versus the U.S. where the It's ranging from 0.07 all the way up to 1.2. So if you're going to be looking at where to put your money, and that's why you're not seeing a lot of movement uh, by the big banks and the uh, the pundits in terms of where China's growth is going to go uh, year-wise.
0: Mm. And so Dan, so the latest UN report on economic expectations says China's economic growth is uh, expected to increase by 5.3% this year. So what's your estimation?
2: Um, we have recently revised uh, the growth uh, rate this year up from 5% to 5.3%, uh, the same as the UN's forecast. It is actually towards the lower end of the whole market forecast. Most institutions do think China has the potential to reach at least a 6% of growth this year under the assumption that there might be more aggressive policy response. Um, but so far, it looks like uh, the economy is quite stable and a policy response is quite stable as well. Both in terms of monetary expansion and fiscal expansion. So I think five point three is still a pretty good baseline to think about the economy.
0: Mm. So Aina, so Dan mentioned the economy is quite stable and China's retail sales rose by over eighteen percent, you know, year on year in April, which is uh, up a lot from the previous month. So how do you see the momentum of the domestic consumption?
1: Well, it's, it's absolutely key, and that's what uh, I agree with Dan. Um, the government has to put in more stimulus. Uh, they have to stimulate the demand because you look around the globe and things are not as good. Uh, a lot of countries, including the US and Europe, are actually downgrading. Uh, they're anticipating more shocks, possibly um, problems with the, uh, you know, raising the debt limits, uh, which could really put uh, a crimp in, uh, in growth uh, for both, for all of the developed countries. So, you know, China has enough tools, uh, they can do what is necessary to uh, stimulate this demand. And um, China will be an an oasis along with uh, ASEAN in a world of uh, bad economic news.
0: So then dining out, closing, a lot of this kind of stuff has come back quite fast. But uh, talking about the consumption, what about the big ticket items like cars and uh, new homes consumption?
2: The um, durable goods consumption like cars and long-term investments like housing sales are still uh, relatively weak. And we have seen that the prices, especially uh, the new home prices in big cities in China, uh, have slowed uh, in, their, uh, in terms of uh, the most recent months' rebound. And we have seen a kind of hesitation among home buyers once again. Um, Because there is still the liquidity problem for a lot of the real estate developers, and they have hesitation in putting additional money in developing um, the new areas for residential homes.
0: So, Aina, so how do you see the uh, housing markets of China and also the young people's, you know, employment issue?
1: Well, I mean, let's uh, take them one at a time. And in, in terms of the mortgages, mortgage was uh, were down a little bit in terms of sheer volume this month, which is a sign of weakness. I agree with Dan. Um, but uh, this this real estate tax shouldn't be overblown. It's not going to be uniform. My guess is that uh, real estate taxes on homes that are actually occupied and used as the primary residence uh, will be a lot different from those that are held for speculation, uh, because their desire is to stop that, and this is an effective way of doing it. In terms of jobs. Yeah, it's it's tough. The, the economy has to get moving. Uh, this last um, May Day celebration uh, injected a tremendous amount of money. Um, but, you know, overall, the amount uh, of money Was the same as 2019. There were 19% more people traveled, but they were a lot thriftier. They came up with this special tactics traveling, which was quite interesting. Trying to maximize your money for things that you wanted to do, and and uh, trying to minimize the amount you spent on uh, travel um, and hotels and things like this. So you know there there are concerns there. Uh, The upward tick uh, in terms of uh, employment that's good but you know with 11 million uh, graduates coming on there are concerns about where they're gonna go uh, both by the graduates themselves and also the government I think they're pointing them towards uh, joining the government and getting experience uh, at the grassroots level meaning to go out to uh, you know, rural areas and that could actually be very good long term because it'll show these people um, you, know, you know, if they haven't had an experience like that, uh, where China actually is and maybe temper some of their feelings about, uh, you know, what they need in life.
0: Mm -hmm. And Aina, actually talking about the industrial production, this is a gauge of activity in the manufacturing, mining and utility sectors, and it rose by 5.6% in April. So what does this tell us? And in terms of products, the output of new energy vehicles, the solar cells went up by 85% and 70% respectively. So tell us why.
1: Well, I mean, th- th- these are things that are needed. Right now, Europe is, you know, <laughs> they're, uh, they're having problems with power. Uh, obviously, something sustainable they control is a lot better than depending on gas from uh, other areas or oil from other areas. Uh, so you're just seeing a tremendous amount of movement there. Uh, electric cars are now um, everyone wants one. Uh, they, they're a lot cheaper to run. Uh, there are long-term issues with the battery and things like that, uh, but people are heading in that direction. So uh, those are the areas that are doing well. The rest lagging a little bit. Uh, if you look at uh, the trade surplus, for instance, it was up, um, uh, you know, up above last the previous month. Uh, but a lot of that was due to a uh, decrease in imports. Uh, remember, China is a place that imports a lot of materials and then turns them into value added things that can be sold uh, overseas and domestically. Um, if you're cutting back on what you're bringing in, that indicates that there is some softness still.
0: Mm. And then, so what do you think will be the foreign trade's role in China's economy for this year?
2: Um, in terms of uh, net exports, it's going to be a main pillar for the growth this year as well, similar to last year. Um, because although the export growth has been going down, but the pace of going down is not as quickly as import growth. So overall, we still have this big trade surplus, and that would, in a way, bolster the valuation of RMB. Um, but as we can see, the economic pressure in Europe and in the US have been accumulating. In the second half of the year, the economy is almost certainly going to slow down much more significantly than the first half. So more of China's trade will continue to shift to Belt and Road countries and the nearby neighbors, especially the ASEAN countries. And that would indicate a further uh, fragmentation and regionalization, actually in terms of both trade and investment.
0: Mm-hmm. And then so take a look at China's financial market. The Northbound Trading of Swap Connect was launched earlier this week. And what does it mean for overseas institutional investors who are eyeing on the mainland market?
2: And the immediate impact on the overseas institutional investors is that they now have one more channel to hedge their risk of investing in mainland bond and stock market. Because previously, what they could do is to, through some uh, connect mechanism, uh, investing in China's treasury bond market, for example. But then there's no good tool to hedge the the risks in terms of the interest rate fluctuation or exchange rate fluctuation. Now they have this new tool of hedging the changes in interest rate. And that could stabilize uh, the expectation in their return it could be a fundamental change actually in their uh, investment strategies. Because as we can see in the past few years, the share of RMB-denominated assets have been increasing in the global um, institutional investors. But this year, starting from the beginning of this year, there have been more volatility. And when people look at Chinese economy, they have a bigger and bigger spectrum on where the economy is going. Some institutions think it's really bright, but others have bigger concerns. In order to hedge those risks, now the government come up with this new connect, which I think is quite essential to provide more security for their portfolio.
0: Mm. So, Aina, what do you think is the significance of this step, the new uh, swap connect, in terms of uh, opening up China's financial market to the world and also promoting the Yuan's internationalization?
1: Well, it's typical step by step. I mean, um, you know, ultimately, it's going to lead to the promoting of the yuan's internationalization, not as the sole currency, but as one of uh, many currencies. So it's uh, baby steps. Um, direct market investment and free transfer is going to be needed. They need to open the capital account in order to do it. Uh, what's interesting is right now, if you look at the world, you know, with the US and Europe, uh, being so anemic in terms of, of growth, and China and ASEAN being, uh, you know, the strong ones uh, relatively, mm-hmm. um, this is probably as good a time as any if there was to lance the international launch the internationalization of the yuan because people once it's freely convertible, you're going to see more money coming into China than leaving it, and even if it does leave, uh, much of it will be round trip because where else are you going to invest your money?
0: Mm-hmm. So, I know we've seen the renminbi assets are becoming increasingly appealing to foreign investors. And in January, the foreign net buying of domestic stocks actually hit record high. And the balance of foreign holdings of domestic bonds rose on a monthly basis in March. So, what do you think are some of the main factors behind this?
1: China's growth is going to be between five and six, and the and US and Europe, uh, traditional places to invest, are going to be between 0.07 and, or in some cases, negative 0.3, uh, all the way up to 1.7. That's a best-case scenario. Um, you know, there's, there's really no argument. You have to figure out where you want to be. You might think of distressed asset plays and other places, um, but, you know, this, this prolonged low growth in all these developed countries is really uh, having people pause. They have to rethink their strategies and assume that perhaps these uh, you know, countries will continue at this low growth momentum and uh, that will impact their profitability.
0: Mm-hmm. So China
1: the obvious place to go.
0: So Dan, what do you think is the outlook for China's economy in the second quarter?
2: Uh, in the second quarter, the macro figures will look better than the first quarter. But as we can see, the weakness in housing market and in part of the retail market will start to emerge in a more obvious way. Um, And when the economy is at such a stage when companies are restructuring by uh, lowering the cost of their labor, uh, their input and material purchase, then um, they have to think about their long-term strategy. And therefore, the long-term investment in the corporate sector probably will slow down as well. Um, The most important thing to look out for the second quarter is one thing I think very critical is the industrial performance, in fact. Because we have also seen the accumulation of industrial inventory in the system, given the slowdown of new orders from abroad. But at the same time, the policy response probably will step up. We don't know when it will happen. Now, the expectation is maybe in June sometime, um, the central bank could have intention to lower the interest rate in certain formats. If that happens, it will become a major boost for both the housing market and the corporate investment.
0: Mm. So Aina, so the UN report and also the IMF, they say you know China's economy is forecast to increase by five to six percent. So what does it mean for the global economy, do you think?
1: Well, it means that uh, China, and, uh, between China and ASEAN, they'll be uh, providing most of the growth uh, worldwide. Uh, the developed countries will be trailing. Uh, there's a lot of developing countries who are struggling with their debt loads and things like that, and just basic necessities. Uh, they're obviously going to have a very tough time. Uh, so, you know, basically the middle power countries like BRICS and things like that are now in the forefront of economic growth whereas the developed countries are taking a back seat. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a lot of change in that, and people are going to be reassessing markets uh, in terms of where the actual safety and growth is going to be. Mm.
0: Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangan, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at chat. GPT chief says artificial intelligence should be regulated. Stay with us.
2: Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business and blockchain.
0: To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Artificial intelligence has dominated discussions at a U.S. congressional hearing this week. The CEO of OpenAI, Sam Autumn, testified on the possibilities and dangers of the new technology ChatGPT and similar programs can create human-like answers to questions, but they can also be inaccurate, spread misinformation, and likely lead to layoffs. Sam Autumn told the Congress that government intervention will be critical in mitigating the risk of powerful AI systems. So then, first of all, the OpenAI CEO addressed some of the ethical issues and called for greater regulation of AI. What do you make of it, and where should they be focused on for the regulations?
2: Uh, well, as an insider, uh, his proposal makes a lot of sense about the concerns, not just from the company, but also from um, the bigger picture in society. Um, the regulators were not ready for a large language models like the one behind the chat GPT. They are not just in danger of creating. Um, misinformation, but also they might change the, the whole cultural construct of a lot of stuff circulating online. And the regulation so far is still following how the regulators dealt with the traditional industries like the traditional media or the online content. It's certainly not enough because when we look at the AI generated content, it's more like a soup. Um, it took something from some articles, from some sources, and sort of mm. combined them into one big piece. So when people look at this piece, it's hard to figure out which one is from which source. So in the months to come or in the years to come, when people look at historical records, they cannot get a full picture of what the truth uh, lie in. And that would require a lot more sophisticated regulation from now on.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I know. So how to strike a balance between fostering the innovation and ensuring the accountability?
1: Well, I'm going to disagree with Dan on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think people are looking at this, uh, they, they see a, a new problem and they want to approach it with the old tools, old ways of thinking. All right? The issue here is not anybody can train up a chat GPT, a couple hundred bucks and you're in, you're in uh, uh, you, you have your own. Um, that's not where it is it's the information it's the data mm. and I think uh, uh, governments need to start concentrating on data the data that's produced by private entities uh, by governmental entities it needs to be scrubbed and I I believe uh, for the good of everybody it needs to be available all right the dangers of chat GPT in terms of privacy and uh, and thinking all goes back to the data itself that's where it learns from so, if you can scrub it and make sure that the data is clean and reliable all right and make it available to everybody well guess what chat gpt becomes a very very valuable plus tool not something that has negative connotations so this idea that you you know you're going to play uh, in america we have something called whack-a-mole it's a game where these little critters pop up and you hit it with a hammer and then another one pops up so if the rest of the world's play whack-a-mole it'll go on forever the game never ends There's always going to be somebody out there. I mean, how are they going to control this? So I I thought uh, Sam Altman's play was naive, uh, useless. Uh, He's pointing at the wrong end of the horse. Uh, He needs to rethink about what's going on there. But these large entities, they want to keep control of the data. And Mm -hmm. that data is too sensitive. Mm. Uh, This is something where government, even if you don't trust government, it's better than trusting these guys because these guys are not trustworthy. We've seen that, (laughs) whether it's Google, Facebook, uh, you name it, they sell our information for their profit. Uh, It's time to change the information model. Mm.
0: But Aina, so what ethical issues do we need to consider in the development of AI? A lot of people are concerned about that, right? So what are the dangers or potential challenges will we face?
1: Well, I mean, people say, oh, it's going to take my job. Oh, it knows everything about me, all this type of stuff. That's why I go back to this issue, that if the information is scrubbed and you're anonymous but available data, all right, you can, yes. Uh, your, your genes can be looked at and, and used as a pattern to discover uh, new cures or cancer or all of these things. Uh, There's so many good things that can happen. But you don't want individuals who are going to use your information to try to sell you stuff or scam you or all of this kind of stuff. So this is where government regulation has to step in. So at, at this juncture, people have to get realistic and they have to start looking at the problem in ways that are conductive to solving it instead of just going back to the same old approaches.
0: <laughs> so, so Dan, do you agree with Aina on this? <laughs> oh wow! Well. You've been laughing,
1: Dan.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have personally been avoiding using ChatGPT although I've been seeing different industries and friends overseas using it and they found it very useful in improving uh, the quality of their work, especially editorial and writing, um, and also to save them jobs so they can do more with less. But then when we think about do more with less, it also means with less people, uh, fewer people like you and me. So maybe my job now is secure. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's, uh, most people have that kind of option. Uh, given what AI can do now and what ChatGPT can do now, most of the white collar job it will be under threat at one point. So I don't think it is a small concern for the industry to think about this before things get out of control. And another issue related with ChatGPT is that uh, there is no escape now. There should have been an opt-out option for some people if they don't wish to use ChatGPT or the related AI technology. But now in this world, sort of, if other industries, other businesses are using it, you have to get into the business. Mm. It's sort of like a rat race. And I do not think it's good for the stability of human mind uh, since we're totally not ready to be revolutionized in such a rapid pace.
0: Mm. So, Aina, so what's the potential market for Chet GPT, do you think?
1: Well, it, it's very large, but I mean, the, the, everyone goes immediately this idea that it's going to take my job. No, you know, things change. Uh, the, the issue now is training. Uh, the one thing that, you know, Chad GPT can't do right now until it's, you know, reaches that point, which they call the singularity, where it's self-aware, can't ask good questions. All right. It, it, you can't I know, for, for a lot of the things that, that Dan brought up, for instance, you say, ah, oh, there's you know, there's no a source for all this material that they're giving me. How do I know it's true? Well, you can have. Uh, the AI actually footnote everything that they, they gave you so that you can uh, qualify that stuff and you can have another chat GPT or a variation of it, look at it and evaluate uh, those sources and compare them to other sources. So there's multiple reiterations. Uh, that can be used. So it's not a dead end. You just don't get one answer. You get one answer and you can have multiple uh, ways of approaching it because at some point all, all the chat GPTs or whatever in the world, the AI, it still comes back to somebody saying, yes, this is useful. This answers my question. Uh, and we can go forward based on uh, this information. It's not like the chat GPT and all these guys are gonna meet in a, in a, in a virtual boardroom and decide the fate of the universe or your company or marketing. right. They can suggest things. They Mm -hmm. cannot make quantitative evaluations of them, except in very limited past tense uh, issues. They might get to the future tense and predictive models and things like that. But as I said, that takes a lot of data.
0: Mm-hmm. And so then, there is a group of AI experts who called on the OpenAI and other tech firms to pause their development of the more powerful AI models for six months. Uh, this is to give the society more time to consider the risk, but uh, is that feasible?
2: Um, it's all up to how the regulators think about it. Uh, just like different countries have different coping mechanisms to the use of uh, cryptocurrency, I think it's entirely possible for the slowdown of developing such a technology. We don't, we basically don't know the consequence. Uh, When you look at the new Bing engine, which gives you an actual answer rather than throwing out a bunch of links, it is not entirely unimaginable that in the next few years, in the next five years, maybe the world will change more than the past fifty years combined. So keeping that in mind, a lot of people will lose their job. It is not a, um, it is a reality. It's not something that uh, most part of the society has been preparing for. And it will also revolutionize the education system. So slowing it down, I think, at, at this stage is actually quite crucial. Um, before people can think of a better solution, we shouldn't rush into something like this.
1: I disagree. You can't shut it down. <laughs> the barn doors so open, the horses. I mean, it's just not possible. The world is you can't act in a unified way about an extinction level of threat that we have with the environment. And now you're trying to get them to act as one on something most people can't even comprehend. <laughs> it's not gonna happen.
0: Well, we're speaking with Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.